And welcome to another edition of Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review Show. Ricky Wittenberg along with Andy Waddell and Justin Edgel. And tonight we go over episodes 13 through 16. It's actually not a four-part review because two of the episodes are basically recap reviews for the upcoming Volunteer Slam. So we will actually be technically going over episodes number 13 and 15 tonight. And with that, I ask my co-hosts, Andy Waddell, how are you doing tonight again? Doing great. The Volunteer Slam's head coming up. Uh, we're going to hug all the pretty ladies or molest a bear or something. It's going to be great. Okay. Justin Edgel, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, looking forward to this uh, reviewing these episodes. A lot to talk about. Lots of uh, fodder, I guess I, I could say that. Well, Andy kind of just uh, put some out there about uh, Jackie Fulton. Oh yeah. But anyway, looking forward to it. Plenty of plenty of stuff to talk about over these two episodes of Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, tonight. So we'll go right off the bat on episode number thirteen. And Dutch Mantel tells Coddle to mind his own business about Carl Styles, and that is actually finally going to get paid off in this episode. We're going to figure this out. And we go right into the first match of the evening, which is Bart Batten versus Hollywood Bob Holly. And, man, this was a shitty match. Real clunky right out of the gate. Something was off between those two. And I've seen Batten work. He's not bad. And Bob Holly's had a couple of good matches in Smoky Mountain. But those two didn't click. And poor Batten. I mean, when you watch the Battens, that, uh, that look may have played in 1985. Uh, Kenny Rogers it's kind of wore out by 1992 though. I mean, he, maybe he should have went for more of a uh, Kurt Cobain kind of look uh, going for the batting guy, but it was just a God. He, he batting hits Holly with a, the worst flying head. It wasn't a flying head scissors. It was a, um, I don't know what it was. It was supposed a to be a leaping crotch face mash thingy. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm not one of these that's going to technically pick apart every single match that we watch, but holy Christ, this was a god-awful match. And Dutch Mantel, during the match, at least, I mean, he's pulling some things out, which which helps, and he says hello to all of Bob Holly's friends at the Club Roxbury in California. Now, I did, it did make me come up and think of the, uh, it was a little bit earlier than the time, but the Roxbury, uh, the the movie Night at the Roxbury, the Batabi brothers, Will Ferrell, Chris Catan. If Bob Holly was doing that kind of gimmick, I think it would have played a little better. Um, it would have been more entertaining. The 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 Hollywood kind of gimmick instead of just a straight Bret Hart ripoff, but whatever. It's uh, the, But the movie don't come out for another six years, and I, I don't think Jim Cornette had quite the foresight to see that coming. So, uh, Holly hits the starship, star, star drop for the win. Holy crap! And and it wasn't. He even missed the freaking knee. Uh, on the replay, you can see that he totally misses the match. God, this match was awful. Andy, um, do you concur? I, oh Lord! I there at the end, I thought he was trying to do a five star frog splash. That's how bad he misses the knee. And anybody that ain't seen it, you can go back and watch and see what I'm saying. I thought he had went to a new move. That's how bad he misses it. Yeah, if they wouldn't have showed the if they wouldn't have showed the replay, you wouldn't have noticed it quite as much. But on that one replay that they showed, you can tell that he doesn't he doesn't touch anything. It was it was just a bad match. Justin, anything to add to this? 
Yeah, not, not too much. It, like you said, it's a sloppy match. Um, Bart Batten, the only thing I you kind of alluded to the fact that uh, his trunks were shitty, hair horrible, and he even looked like a worse wrestler in this match. Uh, once again, I, f- I feel like Dutch, his commentary carried this, this match. And he does that a lot. When it's a shitty match, you start listening to him, and you're like, well, it's entertaining now. Yeah. All right. The, le- the least said about this match, the better. We'll go on to the next segment, which is the desk with Bob Armstrong. And no, Justin, he never does change clothes. I mean, they, the commissioner <laughs> no. job for Smoky Mountain just does not pay that well. Let's just put it that way. I mean, he did <laughs> He's, I mean, it's been, God, three months now. He had the same freaking clothes on. I think it's been the same set of TV tapes, probably. Well, that's possible, too, but All still. Right. So he's going over the volunteer slam card. He is, uh, Gibson's going to fight Golden, Horner, Orndorff, Landell Lee, and Dixie Dynamite, Dirty White Boy. He brings Paul Orndorff in, and he won't, uh, he won't let him get close to that belt. If he even uses one pile driver. Orndorff says wrestler's honor, and he kind of laughs it off that he won't do it. And uh, then he makes fun of Tim Horner. So uh, a good segment for Paul Orndorff because Paul Orndorff just playing the cocky guy plays real well in SMW. He just he's a he looks like the biggest prick you know ever, which is his job. I mean that's his job obviously, but man, it's funny. I love it. He does a good job. Andy, what do you think of uh, Orndorff? I mean, he, he's just playing that obnoxious guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he even says it there, oh, you going to find me some more? I don't care. I'm still going to pile drive. One more break next all over the place. It, it was great. Yeah, I mean, he te- he really was a precursor to Steve Austin stunning everybody, uh, really, with the way he was. No doubt. He's, he's at least uh, throwing the pile driver out there that he's, he, can, he can hit anybody with it at any time. And you're not going to do anything about it. So we go into match number two, which is Jimmy Golden and Davey Rich. And at least these two show show the first match what a Southern-style wrestling match should be. It's not flashy. It's not spectacular. But Rich does a good job of playing the, the face. And Golden, he's the consummate heel. He's great at what he does. There's more prodding in the match with uh, D- Dutch Mantell talking about Carl Styles. Or, well, Bob Cottle asking Mantell about Carl Styles, and he still don't want to talk about it. He calls Carl Styles a simple-minded man, and then probably maybe, I mean, this is this is going to be two good episodes to recap. But quite possibly, my moment of the week is Dutch Mantell was making fun of the women in the studio, and he says that they were so ugly they couldn't even make the biker magazines. But the way he says that, it sounded like he said the biker magazines. And I thought, what in the crap is he talking about? And all I could think of, and I got this horrible picture in my head, of Stan Hansen in all his glory, masturbating frantically to some 400-pound woman Covered in tobacco juice, and that kind of clouded my judgment for the next thirty minutes or so. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I this is this, <coughs> another, another guy. It, yeah, this this match killed me simply for the the commentary once again. I mean, including um, back when you were talking about uh, Dutch talking about Carl Styles. 
he said he was he possibly could be out there serial killing people. Oh yeah. I mean, you, can you imagine somebody says a commentator saying something like that oh, today? Lord. He'd <laughs> be fired on the spot. Oh, it just killed me. But yeah. But. So anyway, back to the actual match. Um, Golden wins with the drop kick. Uh, he he actually is one of the few people in wrestling that can pull off making a drop kick look like a believable finish. I mean, he looks like he just flat out murders people with that drop kick. And to be as tall as he is, to land it just as perfect as he does. I can't say enough about Jimmy Golden's drop kick. I forgot about how good of a drop kick that guy threw. Well, yeah, because it, it actually looks, when he gets up in the air and his feet go toward him, it looks like he launches another two to three feet off of him. Yeah. And I guess that's what gives it the whiplash effect. And it looks like he just kicked their heads off. Yeah, so, I mean, this was a pretty good match uh, for what it was. I mean, it was much better than the first match, and – and Jimmy Golden, he's a believable uh, heel. I mean, I know he's going into the Volunteer Slam, and if you just look at the brackets without knowing what happens, you know, you know, it's going to be kind of a tough road to hoe for Jimmy Golden to go very far with Buddy Landell, Paul Orndorff, and the Dirty White Boy being the other heels. But uh, I like Golden's character, and and that was a pretty good match. Yeah, it was a good match uh, overall. Commentary was hilarious again. Uh, Jimmy Golden, he's a, he's just he's he's a perfect compliment to like I kind of said that to all the other heels they have. Different, good worker. Got it. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go to the desk now with Jimmy Golden. Robert Gibson comes over, and uh, my God, we're going to put what he's wearing up <laughs> later because it's it's glorious and. Gibson, he he didn't come over to make any trouble. He just he just said that he got his wish by being able to face Jimmy Golden in the tournament, and uh, he's going to see him at the Volunteer Slam. Golden says he's going to win it all. Pretty innocent, just setting up the uh, their matchup at the Volunteer Slam. Uh, match number three, it's uh, it's our boy Golden Shower Joe Kazana against Primetime Brian Lee, and uh, oh, I did make one note in Joe Kazana for a guy his size. He looks like a little Dusty Rhodes almost, uh, just like a littler version of Dusty Rhodes. But he can move around pretty good for a guy his size, and he bumps really well. So as a jobber, he's a good jobber. I mean, he does what he's supposed to do well, and he don't mess anything up. It was pretty – it was a quick, inoffensive match. I mean, this was literally like two minutes of Brian Lee with with the cancellation, and uh, Justin's favorite wrestler wins once again. Yeah, next. Next. Andy, um, anything to add? Hated it. Uh, okay. I mean, I can't, you you, you can't even give J- Joe Kazana any props? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, get, okay. Anyway, Brian Lee at the <laughs> desk, Buddy Landell comes over and he interrupts Brian Lee. He says he's coming to take some of Lee's airtime. And uh, he said that Lee needs to take his – Brian Lee says that Buddy needs to take his sister's housecoat back home, which was actually pretty funny. And uh, he says Buddy and his, his go-to phrase that Buddy's not quite ready for prime time. Brian Lee walks away in the – Corny-ass bastard. And, and Buddy's facial expressions make the segment as Brian Lee walks off. But then Buddy asks, was he talking to me? 
I mean, Buddy Landell is one of the best characters in wrestling history. He gets it. He knows he's funny and he's a good heel. It's hard not to like Buddy Landell just because he's such a, just a, he gets it. That's all I can say. That that might be legit how he acts in real life. I'm starting to think that he at least pulls it off real well. I I know all the stories. Oh yeah. You've, you've told me and I've read and stuff like that, but damn, you, you know, you read those and then you look back at this. Well, he, he really was that jacked up. <laughs> yeah. Like, was he really talking to me? He probably really didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> he may not have at that point in time. Uh, I, I'm not sure he was on the hot sauce right then, but, uh, but he, he had a history, so there's always a chance. And now my favorite segment of the week and my God, I can't do it justice. The only thing that I can do is play the segment. Bob Connell finally gets a hold of Carl Stiles and Carl Stiles actually can speak. And here is Carl Stiles in all his glory. All right, fans, Dutch Mantell has sort of disappeared on me in a few minutes. I got Carl Stiles right here. Carl, I'm going to ask you while Dutch is not here, where you been for the last three or four weeks? Well, Mr. Connell, it's like this. I've always had a lot of respect for Dutch and I believe in his teachings. But I got a speeding ticket back home, and me and Dutch are from the same kind of a raisin, and I believe that he would help me out. And uh, anyway, I was in jail for the last couple of weeks. The he, t- he didn't help you out? No, he did. The, the ticket's unpaid. I, I'm, I'm sure Dutch has got an explanation. I, I know Dutch has, I know Dutch has got an answer. It's just uh, he hadn't really told me right yet. But but I believe that uh, he's in the right situation. It's just that I, I done something wrong. I guess I'm usually doing everything wrong out here. So. Well, uh, at least, at least we got that right there, fans. Oh, no, you ain't hey, suffering from the losing. Let's that's go not to the true. That's not- Okay, so there we go. Uh, poor- how, f- how fast was he going? I mean, if you're in jail for two weeks for a speeding ticket, you got to be going at least, I don't know. Well, he just forgot double, to mean- Double the limit? I mean, he just forgot to mention the serial killing part. Uh, the- yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. I mean, in, the bodies in the back of the car is really what got it, not so much the speed. Yeah, and in Western North Carolina, two weeks for a serial killing that the in nineteen ninety two, that's probably about right. So yeah, as, as long as they's foreigners, he's good. I mean, good to go. Yeah, I mean, if Hector Guerrero was one of the guys laying in his trunk, it'd have been just no, it'd have been just fine. It was a different time. Not not we that not that we are condoning this. I actually like Hector Guerrero quite a bit, but just. And Bob Cottle's face in my paused part of this segment is awesome. Uh, he looks like, oh boy, Dutch is in trouble now, or Carl's in trouble. I don't know. But in this segment, Carl Stiles went from a guy that I did not give one flying shit about to a guy that I felt really, really sorry for. And that was a good that was a good move by Cornette. I mean, we knew that it was coming where Dutch was kind of making fun of him. But then to actually hear the poor guy talk, I'm like, my God, this guy is a backwoods redneck. And you get sympathy for poor old Carl Stiles. It works. It sure. plays. And that's the beauty and I, and I, yep. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of it because you can, I mean, I can tell that's not a faked accent. That is a mountains of North Carolina, East Tennessee, full-blown accent. That I mean, I, I am related to people that talk like that. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't have too much to add, but it, I mean, it, 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 like, when I first heard it, I mean, it's funny now listening back to it because it's so ridiculous. But man, at first, it, I mean, it really does sound like he's down and out and about to, I don't know, 
I mean, I thought he might cry just a off little bit. Of, off himself or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was I, – I, you just really felt sorry for Carl Stiles in that segment. Done a great job. Maybe with the best – one of the best segments in Smoky Mountain so far. So and, funny. And it was – I mean, Carl Stiles. Where would we think that Carl Stiles out of nowhere comes out with one of the best segments in Smoky Mountain? Cornette done it. He knew not to let him talk too much because – I don't think that's his foray, <laughs> but he talked just enough to where we feel sorry for poor old Carl and we want him to whip Dutch's ass. That's all we needed. All right. So back into the ring, match number four, Reno Riggins against our favorite guy with the 18 inch dildo case, Mark killer Kyle. And uh Dutch during this match is not even on commentary because he's off to the side, just giving Carl styles the business as they say. And uh, I, I think I did. I made a note that I think with Killer Kyle that Jim Cornette was attempting to recreate the big Bubba Rogers character. And the problem is that he is not Ray Trailer. He's probably not even Ray Candy. Uh, he's, he's not even John Candy. And John Candy never wrestled a freaking match in his life. Killer Kyle is just one of those guys that I don't know that it's going to ever grow on me, but I didn't like the match. And, and my God, there was a, there was a time in this match where Kyle comes off the top rope and they blow the spot so bad that Riggins puts his foot up and he's supposed to catch, he's supposed to catch killer Kyle in the face with a boot. And I, I'm not exactly sure what happened. Riggins had his foot up. I watched it three times. And Killer Kyle kind of just fell off the rope. And he looked at him. And he looked at him. And then Mark Curtis looked at both of them and was like, you really screwed that up. And even Dutch Mantell, as he's back on commentary, said, what was that? In a complete breaking character mode. It was so bad, Dutch Mantell just... And he's he's a guy that doesn't lose character. He lost character because he knew it was so bad. And then he tries his best to save face by saying that Mark, that Killer Kyle is kind of like a zombie. It's, it's hard. He doesn't have emotions or reactions. I mean, when a guy kicks you in the face after you fall off the rope and you just walk away, you're not the Undertaker, buddy. It, it's, that was not your gimmick. I don't know what happened. That match, this is an, I thought that first match was bad. This match was worse. It was at least two feet from his yeah, chest. It, I mean, it, it, was, it was bad. That bad. It, it didn't make it past his chest. I mean, they, if, for the people <laughs> that haven't seen it, his foot doesn't make it past his chest. They look at each other stunned. He grabs his chin for just a split second, and then they keep on going. It's It, it was the awfulest sell job I've seen so far. Oh, yeah, and just to keep people out of suspense here, Killer Kyle wins. With the uh, rub out, uh, like normal. <laughs> yeah, of course. We, we have to have a we have to have the rub out to, for Killer Kyle. One of these days, he's going to break his neck. I mean, I know that we're in 2016 now, and I don't remember him breaking his neck. But I don't know how he didn't break his neck the way he lands that move every single time. It looks like he's going to kill himself. Now maybe he is. Maybe a zombie. he may be trying. I was going to say maybe he's trying. Uh, yeah, back to the point about uh, Ray Trailer, man. Uh, I didn't even think about that until you said that. But Big Boss Man was between him and Killer Kyle. God, that night and day. 
Oh yeah, I as mean, far as work, as worker, my God. Uh, I mean, Bubba, he got a job as a job guy on uh, NWA, and I've heard this story told several times. But the way he got his job and he finally got his first big push is he was able to get up for a slingshot suplex by Tully Blanchard and take it. And he was going over 300 pounds at the time. And it made Tully Blanchard, who's sure. five foot nothing, the right at 200 pounds. I mean, Tully Blanchard's one of my favorite workers of all time. But for him to get Ray Trailer in a slingshot suplex and Trailer to be able to get up and take it the way he did actually got him a job. And that, that launched his career taking a slingshot suplex from Tully Blanchard. So, no, Killer Kyle is, is not Ray Trailer. No. And uh, now we're back at the desk with Ron Wright, and uh, he has a letter where the AARP has suspended his discount card, and for some reason he blames Spooky Mountain Wrestling. He's mad. Blood's going to be spilled at the Volunteer Slam. And, uh, yes, the dirty white boy's kicking old women and men and dogs and everything else, so i got to let that play in 2016 and see how fast <laughs> PETA slaps a lawsuit against Smoky Mountain. If they heard uh, me say it right now on the air, they'll probably go retro on Cornette, and he'll be in he'll be in trouble just just for, yeah. <laughs> just for that playing on TV that long ago. Anyway, Ron Wright just playing up the Volunteer Slam. The Dirty White Boy is going to kill a few people. Uh, the main event coming up next, match number five. It is Nitro Danny Davis and Joey Mags against the Heavenly Bodies, and this is a semifinal match in the tag team tournament. And uh, Mags, he's still selling that neck injury, guys. I mean, good job. Three, I mean, three weeks of continuation here from a pile driver he takes from Orndorff, still selling the neck. And uh, early in the match, here we go, my God, Bob Cottle says, Danny Davis is turned on. We can't make this up. I don't – yeah, I mean, Cottle has, Cottle has some sort of an infatuation with Danny Davis. I, well, I've, I've noticed this, and – I don't know if back then they knew what they were doing or we're just looking at it back from toward a simpler time, but surely somebody saw all this stuff and was like, yeah, we're, we can sneak this past the censors because, uh, yeah, Danny Davis has turned on and you see him over there and it looks like he's giving himself some self pleasure in the corner, but you know, he's shaking up the nitro. I get, uh, it's yeah. Yeah he's, yeah. he's thinking about those 400-pound women from the Biker magazine. Oh, Skull Illustrated, yeah. baby. Woo! <laughs> he's going to be Stan Hansen's <laughs> partner next week in more than just wrestling. Yeah, it was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. Yeah, and I think Dutch Mantel, he, would, he understood it, but Bob Cottle was a little out of touch. He didn't get it, so I, poor old Bob. Bob's a great announcer, but, yeah, he was a little bit – little bit long in the tooth already then and uh just he did i don't think he always realized how bad some of that stuff that he said sounds <laughs> and i don't think he really gives a shit right didn't give a <laughs> shit. yep you're exactly yeah. right uh, all right so it was a i like the match i mean the body's focus on mags injured neck they work over mags for several minutes and uh they do a good job of the neck targeting and um, once again, there's another in move where Bob Cottle says that he cut him a flip, and that's another Bobism right there. That's a, it's a new drinking game on Fire in the Mountains, people. Get your favorite libation. 
And every time Bob Cottle says he cut him a flip, I'm going to talk about it on the air. Take a shot. I guarantee you, if you listen to a few of these episodes back to back in some kind of a a uh, watch listen party, you'll be pretty drunk uh, in about an hour. Or so. Yeah, give or take. Give or take an hour, you're going to be you're going to be messed up just by Bob Cottle talking about cutting people flips. So anyway, um, they they never really get Davis. But I figured that he would get the hot tag back to Davis, um, like is typical. But they kind of changed it up, so Mags never quite makes it. He does tag him, but the referee don't see it. That that spot we play that spot, and um, then this is another messed up finish, I believe. I think maybe Tom Pritchard was supposed to DDT Joey Mags, but he kind of does that hair pull, flip, spin, face buster thing. I don't even know what they call it. I mean, he grabs him by the hair and throws him down on his face. So, and Cottle calls it a DDT. It was a hair whirl face slam. Um, it was definitely the best match of the show. It was entertaining, uh, but another clunky finish. Uh, I don't think anybody really thought that Danny Davis and Joey Maggs was going to beat the Heavenly Bodies, but you never know. Andy, what did you think? Well, like I say, it, it, I, I'm still trying to figure out if that was like a predecessor to Xbox's you know, maneuver or what was really going on. It it looked more like something you see in a Divas match nowadays, but it, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't a DDT and even Bob Cottle was like, it's a DDT? Uh, yeah, yeah, and for the win. Uh, this was the night of uh, screwed up finishes, except Jimmy Golden sticking the dropkick. He was the one that saved it because yeah. out of the five matches, I think he's the only one that actually had a, a legitimate finish without screwing it up. Uh, Justin, what do you think? It, it, like you said, it was a good match. Uh, anything with the Heavenly Bodies, have the, they're the best tag team by far, and well, I guess we'll see that here shortly. But uh, they're good workers. So Davis and Mags, the only thing they, they provide, well, at least Davis, is fodder for Cottle to go off, you know, with the whole – I'm starting to think Bob Cottle might have some th- something for uh, – uh, Nitro Danny Davis, the way he makes all his comments about him. He'll explode so. all over you. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he might. Um, so. Well, and the thing about Danny Davis is it's it's frustrating because I know that Danny Davis is a hell of a worker, and his teaming with Ken Wayne as the Nightmares was some of my favorite memories watching Continental growing up, so – I just I shake my head now thinking of Danny Davis, thinking, God, God, I know that he was a great worker, and I know he was on the tail end of this, so I maybe he just wasn't in a good spot, and the Nitro character wasn't the right one to play. I don't know, because Danny Davis was one of my favorite wrestlers uh, in the mid to late 80s. They're like making a mockery of him now, you think, yeah, in this I mean, territory? I or? No, I mean, I don't think they were doing it intentionally. It just happened no way. You know, not everything works out like it's supposed to. So this is just, I think this is just one of the things that just don't work like it looks like it probably should have on paper. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, so that was, uh, that's basically the uh, episode number 13. And quickly, uh, episode number 14, it was the recap special, but we did have one original match on it because the other half of the semifinal uh, of the tournament, 
the Maulers against the Fantastics. And we had all four of them start out. The Fantastics hit the ring. They take out the Maulers. Caudill was going nuts. He goes nuts during the match over Jack Victory because he's got a tape fist, and he's just pounding Bobby Fulton with his tape fist. And another note that I make, and guys, you've got to back me up on this. Rip Morgan hits the rope backwards when he hits the rope. Usually the guys run into the ropes, right, and they you go toward the right. Like you lean into it with your your body, but you, you, you spin to the right. And he spins to the left, so every time he hits the ropes, I think he's dying or he's falling out of the ring. And that is so distracting. <laughs> I mean, it's like he has a heart attack right as he hits the rope, so he goes the wrong way. I, I guess he's left-handed, so maybe he – hell, I don't know. But watch this because it's it's one of those technical things that really shouldn't really stick out. But I watched it, and I kept thinking, every time he hits the ropes, he is hitting it backwards. Did I mean, I, Rip Morgan has wrestled for a long time and in many places, and he's a good – he was always fun to watch, and he's inoffensive. And I never really noticed that he hit the ropes backwards. So I'm going to have to watch some more Rip Morgan just to investigate this a little further. Um, it was that was a good. They had a, they had a good pace in this match. Um, it was back and forth all the whole way. Yeah, after we saw the bodies win, you kind of have to figure that the Fantastics are going to win because I, I wouldn't think most anybody would think that we would see the Heavenly Bodies against the Maulers in the finals of the tournament. So it was kind of riding on the wall and, uh, and the fantastics, uh, they, they take the win. Unsurprising. It was a good match. It's definitely worth watching. If nothing else, just to see Rip Morgan hit the ropes backwards. Uh, Andy, what do you think? Oh, uh, it, it, it was, yeah, it was slightly distracting because the first couple of times he done it, I, I thought he was coming up with some kind of counter move or, you know, like maybe a clothesline from hell because of the way he, it was, it just looked a little bit off, but yeah, this, this, in, in my mind, there was no doubt who was going to win. And I hate to say it, but I got to give the fantastic some credit on this one. The, the teamwork and everything looked a lot sharper than they have so far. Yeah, I mean, let's give credit where it's due. The Fantastics, I thought they did. They they did look good in this yeah. match, and they do from time to time. I mean, they, uh, as much as we give shit to uh, Jackie and well, not really Bobby, but mainly Jackie. I mean, they they are pretty good workers, so they showed it in this match. So if Jackie could just stay away from the thirteen-year-old girl, yeah, have a better, exactly, a better opinion of Jackie. If he could just if yeah. just just ease off the. Hugging the pretty ladies just a little bit. We like your work. We, we're yeah, not so, sure about your uh, your motives outside of the ring. They're starting to build a lineup right now. They got Styles, Fulton, Jackie Fulton. Who's yeah. next? Uh, Nitro Danny Davis is ready to explode yep. on anybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's next. Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, I mean, the recap special, if you're interested in the tag tournament and you don't want to watch all the shows – Watch this episode. They show all the tag matches leading up to the uh, supposed finals at the Volunteer Slam. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So um, that's the episode number 13. And then basically episode 14 recap special in the books. We will be back right on the other side of this to talk about episode number 15 as we lead into the Volunteer Slam. You know, a lot of us grew up with family barbecues being something of a tradition, a time to be together. 
to laugh together, to share a few stories. A time to look across the table at the people you love the most. And to my mind, that time's worth more than anything else we could ever give each other. Introducing Kenny's brand new barbecue chicken, perfectly cooked and basted in a savory sauce. Try our downright kicking barbecue chicken today. Kenny Rogers Roasters. There's goodness here. And welcome back to Fire in the Mountain, Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review. Now we are up to episode number 15. And, oh boy, this is the episode where everything kind of goes haywire, guys. Uh, 15, right off the bat, uh, we have the, we're at the desk, and uh, they're talking about the Volunteer Slam. Dutch is wearing the heavyweight belt, and he has both tag belts over his shoulders. And uh, they're just pimping up the slam. We go straight into match number one. Barry Horowitz against Robert Gibson, and there is a Ron Jeremy sighting in the audience, apparently, because I've put that. There's a guy that looks like Ron Jeremy somewhere in the audience. I'm not sure if it's 1992 Ron Jeremy or 2012 Ron Jeremy, but he's there somewhere. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Horowitz and Gibson, they have a good match, and I made a note that maybe Cornette should have thrown – Barry Horowitz and Rip Rogers together, and they could have had a little fun mid-card tag team. They'd have, they'd have been more entertaining than than some of the guys they throw together. And once again, somebody gets a good match out of Robert Gibson. I think Barry Horowitz uh, made, made Gibson work a little bit. And uh, But here, it must just be a curse of bad finishes hitting Smoky Mountain lately because I watched it two or three times, and I don't know what happened. It was botched. Robert Gibson looks thoroughly confused in three different directions at the same time. He he, oh, hits, his, he, he he hits his bulldog for the win, but it was supposed to be like a hip toss reversal spot, and it was supposed to kind of go crisp. And you can actually see Gibson look like, uh-oh. I don't know what happened, if he messed up or if Horowitz messed up, but they – he gets the bulldog out of this, and it's another botched pin. But it was a pretty fun match, uh, Andy. What do you think? Like I say, it, it was. A, I, I liked the match, but there at the end, if they would have just kept going with it, you probably wouldn't have noticed it that bad. But when I guess Horowitz was supposed to go with the hip toss or another reversal or so, whatever it was, they had that awkward three second pause where they're just wrapped in each other's arms for some reason. I felt dirty. Uh, Justin, what, <laughs> can you figure out this finish? Uh, what happened? Uh, I'm not really sure what, I mean, <laughs> he, he got, and he kind of put it, put it the best way there. Cause it, it was, it was so botched and they didn't, they could, they didn't even know what the hell was going on. They were caught in the so lover's like embrace were, and we just, we were waiting on Fabio and the the music to start. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, and Gibson. I, I still, I still, it still boggles my mind that this guy used to be, or I think at this time he he wasn't an NWA and he was a big big deal, and he is so bad in like a middle card wrestling promotion. He he's horrible. It's I don't know. I, I think. I don't know. Gibson is not bad. I just think he's a tag. He's one of these guys that is just a tag team guy. And that needs, to be, and that needs Morton, to be carried by somebody. And Ricky Morton is really, really good too. And right. so it's not Robert Gibson's bad. Ricky Morton's just really good. And Robert Gibson's a better tag team wrestler. So 
it just don't. It, he's just not working as a singles guy. But this actually was a good match. So he's had a good match with um, with Rip Rogers, and now he's had a good match with Barry Horowitz. So it can happen. It just don't happen often with the yeah, suppo- two supposed jobbers, I guess, so to speak. Go yeah. figure. Yeah, Sh- shouldn't be that way, in my opinion. No, no. I mean, Barry Horowitz may may have been a jobber, and Rip Rogers may have been basically a jobber to the stars, but those guys aren't jobbers. They know how to work, and, and you can tell when they when they fight good competition, they make the guys that they're fighting look better, which is their job. So, right. Back to the desk, and here we go. It's Jim. It's Cornette with the bodies, and we've got our fan sighting of the week here, which is um, we're going to pick on some kids. Uh, we'll talk about them later. And there's another guy that that is definitely in the running in this segment. And during Cornette's <laughs> rant, Tom Pritchard has set up a Heavenly Bodies menage a trois with a female fan in the audience. That's so good. That is awesome because, I mean, you can see him talking to Stan Lane and he's making these gestures and he's pointing at some random person in the audience and he, he does the two fingers and he points to them two and he does for one. And then he smiles, you know, he smiles and winks. I mean, he's basically set up a a, a, a two for one with, with some fan in the audience. So there must have been something <laughs> something worth, uh, worth their time out there in the audience is Cornette's going off on uh, the fantastics yeah. and yeah, it wasn't even paying attention to what stan lane was saying it was so friggin' funny oh yeah watching pritchard yeah, yeah absolutely uh, pritchard was uh, yeah i mean it was cornet's always entertaining but just watching pritchard try to set up a, a date <laughs> was was great and um we will wrap around to this later but cornet insults the fantastics mama and yeah. and daddy, but it was the mama that uh, that got that got him riled up. So the Fantastics with Bob Armstrong right on their heels, trying to come. They come out and they Armstrong tries to keep it broke up, and the Fantastics uh, they, they say they want to kick their ass right there, right then for the and they want to do it for the belts. Cornette says let's do it, and Bob Armstrong. This is a little bit confusing. He says. Smoky Mountain won't sanction this match or be responsible for it, but it's going to be for the belts. And I would think that if it's not sanctioned by Smoky Mountain Wrestling, then it really shouldn't be for the belts, but that's a technicality. Uh, That would be a way in 2016 to get the belts back off of somebody and and do another schmoz next week. But that was a little different in 1992. And so that was a really, really fun segment that led straight into the first match of the night or no, second match of the night, I can't count, which was the bodies against the Fantastics for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team titles, and Bobby Fulton comes out. He's he's beating on the Heavenly Bodies because he's mad. He's protecting his the uh, the his mama's uh, heritage there, and the two teams, they have good chemistry together. This is a classic Southern tag. Bobby works the face and peril spot, and... Um, Jim Cornette made a made a point to say that they're not from the City of Angels. They are from Chillicothe, Ohio, which I know has a dirt track because we are into racing also. But, Justin, is Chillicothe, Ohio as bad as Jim Cornette would like to make it out to be since you it's are from pre- Cincinnati? Yeah, it's about uh, two and a half hours east of here. It's a one-horse piece of shit town. 
Well, so, they're they're famous for there you go. for the Fultons. So if nothing else, so that's where the Fultons are from. I'm I'm so ashamed. Yeah, they, I live in Ohio. They, they are thing your to people. Be ashamed of in Ohio. They are your people. Uh, Carl uh, Styles is, uh, is our people, and and you've got the Fultons. <laughs> well, take the good with the bad. I get. I don't know. <laughs> weigh your weigh your options there. All right, so. This was a good match. Uh, it eventually breaks down into four-way. Everybody's in the ring. Jackie eventually got the hot tag. Everybody is in the ring. Jackie catches Pritchard in a um, sleeper hold. And Cornette just absolutely jackhammers Jackie Fulton with the tennis racket. Of course, Mark Curtis was trying to get the other two pulled apart, so he didn't see it. He spins around. Pritchard's on top of Fulton, the one, two, three, and the heavenly bodies are your first ever Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions. Andy, what do you think of the match? I, like I say, I thought they did excellent work together. Even Jackie, I mean, it, it was like he was starting to come out of his shell in a good way. Uh, it, it, he'd come in there strong, and it looked like they had the belts won, and then, like you say, Cornette pulls a win out of the jaws of defeat and hits him upside the back with a tennis racket. I love it when he does it. Oh yeah. And I mean, he did, he did not lay off of that shot either. He laid into him with that racket. Now you hear the air whoosh out of yeah. the cover on the racket. He hits him so hard. Yeah, with I mean, he, he popped him. Uh, you could hear all the scared 13 year old girls cheering saying, yeah, get his ass. <laughs> yeah. They're cheering for the bodies. Uh, and I'm not sure that's, that's much of an improvement <laughs> with what Tom Pritchard's trying to, I mean, he may have been, he may have been, he may have been hitting on the 13 year old. I'm not quite sure what he was oh, trying yeah, to say. No, you never know. But anyway, I, just in the match, uh, I thought that's this is probably I have we haven't revised our top 10 list of Smoky Mountain wrestling matches yet, but this is definitely in the running for one of the better matches we've saw so far in the watch. Yeah, very good match. Uh, it, they're the two best tag teams by far. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I mean, they fought for the titles, I guess. And, uh, good match, good ending. Uh, it actually seems like they hate each other too, you know, good angle. Oh, so. yeah. All right. So now we are at the desk with Doug Furness and it's good to see Doug Furness in Smoky Mountain. My God, I'll never forget the night that he debuted, pulled, I tore the cage door off in Knoxville in continental. I, I guess it was continental. Um, he's been, t- he talks out at the desk that he's been wrestling in Japan and Mexico and he's glad to be in smoky mountain and, and glad to see Doug furnace because he is a freak of freaking nature. And he goes straight out into the match, uh, which is match number three of the night. It's, uh, our, our buddy golden shower, Joe Kazana against Doug furnace. And uh, Furnace, my God, I forgot just his leg, his thighs. He's he's just he is built. He is a freak of nature the way he's built for his size, just to be cut up like he was. And he does a leapfrog spot in the match where it looks like I mean he jumps ten feet in there. It looks like, and that was with no effort. I mean he's just he's a freak of nature, and he ragdolls Kazana around, and Kazana's not a little dude. He's just, Furnace is really, really strong. It was a squash. Uh, he hits him with a really good Hurricane Rana. The, I liked it that Bob Connell has no idea what to call it. 
I, I know that he wants to call it a Frankensteiner, but I'm sure they said don't call it a Frankensteiner. So, because that's what everybody in America was calling it back in then. It didn't matter what it was. It was a Frankensteiner because Scott right. Steiner popularized it. And uh, yeah, but, just a hell of a debut for Doug Furness. I mean, he is, he's impressive. Yeah, he really is. I, I mean, he does look like he came straight out of Vince McMahon's steroid clinic, but, you know, and and that's why I kind of say he was, uh, he looked like a WWE type of wrestler. I mean, he, and like you said, I mean, for as big as he was, he, he was very athletic and very impressive. He was. Just, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know what kind of push he gets in the future, obviously, but I mean, he he should get a singles push for sure. He's a lot better than what they're trying to push right now. Be Brian freaking Lee and Bob Holly. Well, what Hollywood Holly, whatever his name is. Yeah. So. Well, and the thing with Furnace is, honestly, if he comes along in 2010, uh, he. We've got Daniel Bryan. We've went to the smaller wrestlers now. It's okay to be a smaller guy. In 1992, Doug Furness does not fit the WWE Im- WWF image because he's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I mean, he's not a tall guy. He, wa- he wasn't tall enough. Okay. He wasn't tall enough. But with the way wrestling has – the wrestlers have basically shrank over the past 20 years. Right now, he could have walked into the WWE with that body – with his athleticism and the way he wrestles, and be a top flight, I mean, he could be a, he could be a world he could yep. be a world champion. No, he, he yes, just, he just he yeah, well put right there. Soon. I mean, it, um, Andy, it's, diff- it's a difference in era, I guess. Obviously, yeah, Andy, what do you, what do you but make I, of Furnace? I honestly, I thought that uh, Kazano was going to have enough time when he done that leapfrog to make two passes. With the height he got off of that, I I watched it over and I'm like, how in the world? I mean, I know he's got muscle, but still yet, most people that's built like that don't have the spring in their step to get that high. And uh, I mean, you know, most time when they do a leapfrog, the dude has to kind of duck a little bit. Nah, he, he just whoop, right over top of yeah, it. It was impressive. I I don't know what else to say about it. He done it with little effort, too. I mean, it wasn't like he really put a lot of effort into his jump. I mean, I, I legit wish I could go back in time and bring Doug Furness into a box jump against J.J. Watt right now oh. and, and see how high Furness could do a box jump because the dude could jump out of a freaking gym. I mean, uh, it, I, literally, the guy was that impressive. So... On to the next match, because we could talk about Furnace for a long time. Yes, uh, he's he's awesome. Uh, back to the desk, Hector Guerrero and Bob Armstrong. And, yes, Justin, I see the note. Hector is holding the neck brace in his hand. Um, he's selling the neck injury, except that he's not wearing the neck brace. And I, it doesn't really explain why. I don't know. Maybe it was itchy that day. I, I'm not sure. He's He's a tool. I'm sorry. You know, he, he, he's so he's so. I I don't know why. I never really did like him. I didn't really like all the Guerrero family, for for that matter. Maybe that's bad to say, but this well, one it's just ended up dead. But I I, I love the Guerrero. But, I mean, I, I'm an unabashed lover of the Guerreros. I've, I've liked and there there's a lot of people that do. But I mean, he's sitting there. Oh, you know, look at this. Uh, why bring that out, you corny ass? But anyway. <laughs> 
I like Guerrero. He's just, I mean, he's taking Orndorff's took food off his table. You can see that they're probably trying to set a feud up out of the volunteer slam, possibly. Hector wants revenge. I like it. I like Guerrero. Andy, uh, break break the tie here. The, what do you what do you think of what do you think of Hector? I I like the Guerrero family. I I don't know if he's at this point if he's trying to sell his Mexican roots too much or if he's just really that bad at English, but I do think that kind of holds him back a little bit because it, when he's trying to express something, it comes out a little gaudy, a little awkward. And I don't know if that's just the lost in translation stuff, but as far as watching him in the ring, I like watching him wrestle. I just think he needed to work on his delivery a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's that a fair stupid point. role. He does that stupid. Oh yeah. Role. Ole, I am Sonic the Hedgehog. Ole. Yeah, I mean, I really think uh, we could have went with the Sonic the Hedgehog gimmick. That was yeah, right. Nice. Yeah, we did it last week, right? <laughs> okay, so Orndorff does he does come out and acknowledges that he he calls out Hector's manliness because Orndorff is being a dick like like he's supposed to be, and Tim Horner comes out because he's fighting Orndorff in the Volunteer Slam, and he basically said that he'll you know he's he's there and he's healthy. He can have a go at him, and uh, nothing comes of it. But Horner makes an appearance anyway. He's thank God he's not singing. <laughs> oh, good lord! And back to we get. I, I guess I just like the heels better. I guess that's what it comes down to. Well, I mean, in general, I do, I do too. But um, I, I've always liked the I like um, like the Guerreros. Always did. Um, batch number three. Or four, have I mislabeled these matches? No, this is actually match number three. Ben Jordan against Dirty White Boy. And Dirty White Boy does not have Ron Wright with him. This is a glorified squash. There's not a lot to say about it. It's always fun to watch Dirty White Boy just kick the crap out of people for five or six minutes because he is a believable ass kicker. He really looks like he's whipping his ass. And... um. I like it. That I actually did make a note that he did not come out in the blue jean jacket. He has switched to a leather jacket, which is much uh, more in line with the character, I think. Gives him a, a cooler look and uh, a meaner look with the, the blue jean jacket. He not quite as intimidating. And and uh, Dutch says, while the dirty white boy's been away, he's been sticking forks and dogs. And... I mean, he was kicking dogs and old people last week. Now he's sticking <laughs> forks and dogs. Uh, I mean, I, Andy, I mean, that's not an unusual thing around here. We've got plenty of Asian places where I think that happens every day. Yeah, I don't think the people knew it at the time that they were sticking the fork in the dog. But the thing that gets me about the Dirty White Boy is just like you said, you can get, there are bars here in East Tennessee that you can go to to this day and see people that look like the reincarnation of the dirty white boy. Oh yeah. And you know, that person right there will kick your ass if you mess with them. So let's go over here and sit in the corner and see who asked to kick. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's just believable. It, that's what I liked about him. Yeah. I mean, he, he it, it, go ahead, Justin. It's it, okay. It's between the dirty white boy and Paul Orndor for me, the best heel they got right now. Oh. I mean, he, he's he, the way they, First of all, both they, they work well, they're good on the mic, and they're believable. 
So yeah, they're they're both great. Their heels are just top flight. I mean, and they've got Buddy Landale for sure. Who's yes. actually my favorite. So, it, it, but I right. mean, there you can't go wrong with any of those three. And Cornette had continued to push, which he's not in the tournament, but he was really trying to protect him. Cornette was really, really trying to push Bob Holly as maybe the top hill, or at least one of the top two or three hills. But when you have guys like Tony Anthony and Buddy Landell and Paul Orndorff, is uh, Holly? I mean, Holly was okay, but you can see why that don't work out exactly like sucks. like it sh- like they thought that it might. I mean, right. you, you've got too many good heels in Smoky Mountain, and that's actually a problem. You've got r- a, a lot of really strong heels, and right now you don't have too many good baby faces. I mean, you've got Brian Lee, and you've got the name <laughs> of Robert Gibson. The name yeah. Robert Gibson, I mean, he does bring the name with him. Danny Davis is not all that hot in Smoky Mountain, and you got the Fantastics, and that's really the gist of it. I mean, I don't think a lot of people took Tim Horner too seriously, and a lot of people just like you ain't gonna take Hector Guerrero all that seriously. So they're a little they're a little lot on the face side. Well, when I, I think I think what happened to uh, uh, Holly Holly or whatever, you know, he I think he just got pushed out by better people. That's all that happened to him. Yeah, I mean, well, he, he was only, at a dis- disadvantage from the beginning. I thought. Yeah. Well, not only that. I mean, around here. You want the heel to be somebody that could believably whip you. And with Holly, yeah, he had the physique and he was doing all this other stuff, but you're sitting there in the back of your mind thinking, I could take him. You know, he, he's too cocky. He messes around too much. I, I could take him. You know, with the rest of them, well, like Buddy Landell, he was cocky and he would show off, but at the time he's showing off, he's hurting the guy. With Holly, he would show off and then get caught with a punch to the chin, and you're like, "Yeah, I could take him." Man. So, I I don't know. It just didn't it didn't gel right for me. Uh, he was just too too clean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it and wasn't Andy, right, Andy looked too much like Bret Hart. Maybe. Yeah, it wasn't the right kind of bad guy for this promotion. Right. No. So we um. We're back after the match with the Dirty White Boy. We go to the desk with, more than, I forgot to mention this face, Dixie Dynamite. And um, hey. he said that the Dirty White Boy has lit the fuse on this southern stick of power. And I guess he's going to explode all over somebody next. I mean, him and Nitro Danny Davis makes, that that seems like that would be a hell of a combination. Dixie Dynamite and Nitro, not, Nitro and Dynamite. Uh, they, uh, maybe they eventually do. I don't think they, I don't know if they want that or not. But that would have been a good idea. Southern Pride will explode all over you. Yeah. And next Saturday at your National Guard Armory. Yeah, watch Dutch Mantel during this segment. When <laughs> when he says, when Dixie, when Dixie Dynamite's doing that, the look on Dutch's face is the look on my face as I was watching it. And Wait, it expresses the- expresses it perfectly. So just, <laughs> just watch Dutch's face, his reaction. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was it was a good. It, he's not bad on the mic at all. Uh, no. I mean, Scott typical, Armstrong. I mean, know. he's an Armstrong. You you by God better be able to talk. Right, and he he's he's all right. Typical face mic work. Um, nothing special, but he's fine. I mean, if we could have just if we could have just put 
the road dog's mic work in Brad Armstrong's body, we would have had an Armstrong as a world heavyweight champion at some point. Because uh, the uh, Brian Armstrong was definitely the best talker. Brad Armstrong was by far one of the better workers. I mean, I would put Brad up there on the level of Bret Hart type of work. And um, the Armstrong's over. But, and Scott Armstrong's not a bad worker. I, for some reason, I was remembering him as being really, really skinny. It's like a, But I've got to also remember in 1992, I was used to watching guys like the Warrior and Hogan. And, I mean, everybody was juiced up in 1992. Uh, you, you'd, it didn't matter what you'd flip it to. Right, Lex Luger was, I mean, he was, my God, he was massive uh, in 1990. By, well, by the end of 92, everybody was on, on the juice. So I guess going back and watching it now, I'm thinking, oh, he's not that small. But when you look at him compared to today's workers, he's about the same size. And that's, that's just one of the differences between the generation then and what it is now. I mean, now guys mostly have to play play ball on the clean side. But um, there's a little well, different I might, be, then. I might be ignorant on this. So Road Dog, is that Bob Armstrong's son? Yes. Brian, no that shit. is Brian James. Uh, he is he is the no brother shit. of Scott Armstrong, okay. Steve Armstrong, and Brad Armstrong. Well, I learned some. Yeah. Yep. He's one of Bob Armstrong. I mean, definitely Red Dog, one of Bob Armstrong's kids. <laughs> I would have I never freaking guessed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of Armstrong's kids. So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> hey, it, it, this is this is an educational show as well as an entertaining show. So. Yeah, for sure. For me, for sure. Yeah. Uh, last match of the night, we're going main event, Buddy Landell against Danny Davis. And I love Landell's just little nuances. He makes Mark Curtis hold open the ropes for him because he's a prissy little son of a bitch who can't take the time to hold the rope himself. He has to have Mark Curtis do it for him. And then, uh, y'all, thank God, Danny Davis, he's finally got some different tights on. They're not – it's not much of an improvement, but it's better than the uh, the 1986 – retro couch look it's still pretty shitty but yes i agree i mean now it's just black and white stripes which is at least better so the match as you would expect danny davis and buddy landell to have is a good match and this is more kind of what i remember danny davis as he is a face and he's playing the face in this match obviously and Landell's a good, I mean, Landell's an excellent heel. So this, the, they worked out well together. And I, I really, this was Danny Davis's best performance by far. And it's probably a lot to do with just how good Buddy Landell is as his worker. And this was the main event of the show. So they were obviously going to try to put on the best match because this probably was the go-home match of the night. And uh, it, it it ends with Davis trying to do his roll-up, but Buddy Landell rolls through the roll-up, grabs the tights for the one, two, three, jumps out of the ring. He gets a, a cheap pin, but he gets the win, which would you would expect heading into Volunteer Slam since he's one of the eight guys fighting for the belt. So, Andy, uh, what do you think of the match? Well, uh, like you say, with Landell, it's just the little things. Like, where he more or less robbed Danny Davis of the win – 
he doesn't hang around to get his ass kicked after the match. He he wins the match, he rolls out, and then he escapes. You know, that's that's a good heel when you know, unless you're a big bruiser or something, you know. Uh, a heel like that works out real good because he wins, he gets out of the way, and it's like, aha, I got one over on you. And I, that's what I like about Landale. Oh, yeah. And um, we come out of that, and he goes to the uh, to the desk, and uh, he has a good, has a really good interview with uh, Cottle, and he he calls out Lee, and then um, he said that he had beat anybody in the tournament. It didn't matter. He didn't play favorites, and he said something about Paul Orndorff, and then he asked if he was there, and they kind of look around. They say no. He said, "Well, that," and you could tell just the way he's he's playing that up he asked if paul orndorff was there because if he was there he's not going to say anything bad about him when they said no then he decided he he could be a he he could play up that he could whip paul orndorff and that is classic buddy landale right there i mean that is the epitome of his character in one statement so yeah it it was a great it was a great interview i loved it i loved how he he made some crazy references to it during that oh, yeah. interview. Oh, yeah. Also, going to rip yeah. Brian Lee's Brian Lee's throat and crap down his neck. Yeah, yeah, he, and he didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I, I swear, I swear, he was probably doing some of the Bolivian mark, marking powder back then. I, if I had to guess, him and him and Terry Gordy could have made a, a hell of a tag team. Oh yeah, oh, Lord, yeah. No, that, yeah. that reminds oh, me. My. Uh, th- and I don't, know if, I don't know if I've talked about this on a Smoky Mountain podcast, and I'm sure that this is it's popularized, but maybe some people haven't heard it. And just just as a reference to the drug thing, back in the 80s in the WWF, when M- McMahon was using the machines gimmick, and he had the strong machine, and then he had the giant machine, which was Andre the Giant, and he had the Hulk machine, which was obviously Hulk Hogan. Bobby Heenan makes a reference and he tells he tells Vince McMahon he's got a hell of an idea. He said he's got a new machine. And and McMahon plays off. I mean, he doesn't know where Heenan's going with it. He I don't I mean this this was backstage. He doesn't do this on the air. If he did, it would have been even better. <laughs> but Heenan says, I've got an idea. He said, uh, you you can make Jake Roberts a machine. And he said, Oh yeah. He said, Yeah, you call him the Coke machine. Oh, good lord! <laughs> so, oh, so I, we, every time we we talk about that, I, I think of Terry Gordy, Buddy Landell, and uh, and the snow, uh, the snow the on snake. Freebird Mountain. Yeah, the snow on Freebird Mountain. They could have been the new Freebirds. They could have been the. I mean, they they. <laughs> I don't know what they could have done with it, but they could have had a hell of a run. I know that. All right, so that's the end of episodes. Uh, <laughs> We have episode 16, which we will not discuss because it is a recap episode completely. They have a little bit of new commentary in between. Part of it has Cornette trying to get a ticket for he's He's going to get a ticket for his mama, but they some of the front rows was already sold out, and they shut the ticket window on him. And, Andy, did you, you said you've seen another Buddy Landell psychotic episode oh, during he- this. Yes, he said he was going to pull uh, Lee's eyes out and whistle out a skull. I, that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, okay, so there we do know Buddy Landell's been on Freebird Mountain when he's when he's talking like that. So, um, what's, another, I mean, if, another reference that we can't even. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to watch, um, if you need to, if you need a quick refresher, 
watch episode 16 because it is leading up to the volunteer slam. So we will go right now straight into our awards for the night. Uh, the match of the week. Uh, I think we're pretty unanimous in this. It's the Fantastics against the Bodies, one of the best matches we've seen so far in Smoky Mountain. Real good Southern tag, classic Southern style, and uh, the Bodies take on the belts. Soundbite of the week. Um, instead of just telling you the soundbite of the week, I'll let Jim Cornette tell you because, by God, here it is. All over the building. That's right. Come here. I'll tell you something else about your mama. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, Commissioner Bob Arm. I'll tell you something else about your mama. She never was lonesome while your dad was out drunk because anybody with 30 minutes to kill and 10 bucks to spend could keep her company. <laughs> oh, classic Jim Cornette with, so the, with the zinger against the Fulton's mama. So there we go. I'd had to break character to steal heat him. I'm sorry. You don't I talk about right. a Southern boy's mama. That just don't happen. And then basically called her a whore. So yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, you notice he done that to the dude from Ohio because he knew better to do that for somebody from South. Yeah, if he had yeah. Called, <laughs> yeah, then well, there you go. I, I mean, guess if, so. <laughs> he'd have said that <laughs> about Carl Stiles. That silly ass town in Chillicothe, Chickawaki. Yeah, yeah, Carl Stiles would have broke his yeah. neck and then buried him in a hole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, all, we know that. I mean, and he would have done it on the air, too, because he'd have forgot that, that he's just playing a character, and he'd have killed Jim Cornette on live TV. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's probably a good thing that Cornette was working with guys that actually uh, actually knew they were working, because I'm not sure Styles, uh, I'm not sure he knew he was working. He's convincing enough to where he, he, he's very believable. Fashion statement sure. of the week, uh, Robert Gibson's sweater. Still need to check under his deck. <laughs> yeah, I, no, you don't have a dre- you, He don't have a deck. I guarantee. He has a porch. Yeah, he has a porch. Oh yeah, <laughs> with five dogs under it and three seats yeah. folded up. He's got a he's got a wood pile out back, and uh, he's probably got an outhouse. You yep. and uh, I, I guarantee you, he's growing some uh, wacky weed. So wherever he's at in the mountains of North Carolina. Four cars and only three of them run. <laughs> All right. So fashion statement of the week, Robert Gibson, his sweater. My God, we'll put that up. Fans of the week. I it, guess it was a sweater. I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, it was a, it was definitely something that was born around here in the nineties, early nineties. Yeah, some unfortunate people in the late, late nineties. Uh, fan of the week, uh, the Deliverance Kids, and I'll put their picture up also. I mean, we're not biased on this show, by God. If you're, if you are the fan of the week, it doesn't matter. You can be eight to eighty, blind, crippled, or crazy, don't matter. And as Jerry Lawler would say, if they can't walk, we'll drag them. I... <laughs> oh Lord! Emphasis. I got on nothing. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, interview of the week, Carl Styles. We've already done it. My God, the, the best interview so far, possibly in Smoky Mountains history. Carl Styles talks for forty six seconds, and we know exactly where he's coming from, and we feel sorry for the guy. Perfect delivery for for Mister. He's the MVP of this week, Carl Styles, and he didn't wrestle. All he done was talk for a few seconds, and and uh, now all of a sudden he's uh, he's the guy everybody feels sorry for. 
Yeah, he he proved to the world that Dutch has got above his raisins. Yeah, Dutch is above his raisins. <laughs> he, yeah, I don't really feel sorry for him. I just, I just, I just laugh at him at this point. It's funny. Oh, uh, okay. So now sorry. We, we are leaded right, no, leaded, no hard, I guess. leading right into the volunteer slam, which will be our next show, which will be a special show because the volunteer slam, uh, it's pretty, pretty long card. So I don't know how long the show will be, but we'll have a lot to talk about as, uh, as the volunteer slam is our next show in the watch, which will settle and set our first smoky mountain wrestling World champion will be crowned at the Volunteer Slam. Okay, now we are up to the Volunteer Slam finally. We've been building ever since Smoky Mountain launched, basically, to this point. Andy, do you think Smoky Mountain was in a good place heading into the Slam? Yes, I I do. I think they've developed a lot of their characters. You know, looking back on it, yeah, there's some improvements that could have been made, you know, who, you know, would have, should have, could have, and all that, but I think with what they had to work with, they're actually building up to a good card. Oh yeah, Justin, uh, I know you're the you are the outsider that's never saw any of this. Uh, now that you have witnessed the whole build up to the Volunteer Slam, are are you excited about seeing the Volunteer Slam? Yeah, yeah, I really am. Uh, you know, when I first started watching this stuff, it was like, you know, I got to be honest, like, what the hell is this? in the very beginning and you know it started getting better and better they started building the building the storylines and bringing in new people and and i I think this is the perfect time and what is the episode it's about a four months you know basically four months in and now they're going to have a tournament for the championship it's it's in a very good place the only thing i'll say is we kind of alluded to it before is they need to, uh, some better baby faces for sure. The heels are fine, which is, I guess the heels are easy, easier to develop for sure. But, you know, but get some better baby faces and, and, and you know, the territory, it'll get better right. after that. Well, in, in smoke, it's, it, it's very, very early. I mean, four months into a new ter- territory or whatever, like, promotion is it's very early so oh yeah and looking forward to the you you came into this cold turkey which is good this is exactly what we wanted i mean we wanted somebody that's never saw this to be on this show because you're watching it organically like we've talked about so as as you coming in i can see on the first couple episodes like what is this crap because you you're not used to these guys i mean jimmy golden some of these Southern guys, Bob Armstrong, I mean, I know right now you still don't completely get it. Eventually you may, you'll, you'll probably get Bob Armstrong because his it's character. probably just his outfit. Maybe. I don't know. It, it probably is. <laughs> but, but not really, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, eventually you'll, you'll come around and, and it's real hard to start cold Turkey and not knowing any of the guys, basically just, I mean, you knew a few of them, but not knowing any more than you did. So now that you have four months, basically, of TV invested in these guys, you can see where they're going, and you, you kind of get invested in these characters. I mean, I wouldn't, and I'll tell you all, all the same way, I wouldn't have gave two craps about Carl Stiles. We've made fun of him. He's not a good worker. But Cornette has pulled a really interesting storyline out of him where he can go somewhere with Dutch and have a 
I mean, he could have a main event with Dutch Mantel on a spot show in a little town, and it would draw back then, I would think, just off of people feel sorry, people feeling sorry for his character because I, in East Tennessee in 1992, that is relatable, the way Carl Stiles is. Oh, my God, that poor boy. He was in yeah. jail for two weeks because that dirty son of a bitch <laughs> stole his And money. that's just what the grandmothers would say. I mean. Oh, yeah. And that's the, that's the one yeah. that was on the front row of the church that, that Sunday, too. I mean, that ain't what the that ain't what the, the grandma that, that frequented our shows the first few episodes would say. She would have said something a lot worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I mean, it, I'm getting a little worried about that. Our, our that grandma, she she may have succumbed to something because I haven't seen her in any. Oh, you episode. think so? Yeah, the group what about, has left. So. What about the gyrator? She's my favorite, but I guess she's probably she she gyrated it, on whoever the hell. Was that, that's who. That's who Tom Pritchard was trying to set up the menage a trois with. <laughs> right. Oh. <ooh>, <laughs> Okay, so, um, but but anyway, yeah. I mean, the only thing I ever really—I mean, I think I said this a little bit ago, but I mean, it's the only thing I ever saw was WWE or F back in the day, and a little bit of NWA. It was nothing like what I'm watching now, and this is in the early '90s, so right. It, I mean, it's pretty cool to see, though. Oh, uh, absolutely. Especially because, like, I think. I know what's probably going to come later on with this, you know, promotion. So it's exciting. I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah. I mean, there are some really, really awesome things to come in Smoky Mountain down the line. So our next show, once again, we are going to recap the volunteer slam, which is the tournament for the belt and, uh, exciting news coming for the, uh, fire in the mountain podcast. Still not quite ready to pull the trigger on the announcement yet, but I, it's coming. It'll probably come on our Volunteer Slam show, uh, hopefully. So When it does, it will explode all over you. It will explode all over you like Nitro Danny right, Davis. Right on the chin. Right on the chin. So for Justin Edgel and Andy Waddell, this is Ricky Wittenberg saying another fire in the mountains in the books. <laughs>